We are so happy that you are here today. And I, I say that really just about every single time that I get up here, but I really, really do mean it. Uh, we don't take it for granted that you decided to show up here today, uh, that you decided to, to make Grumlaw a part of your week, because again, we completely recognize, I mean, you're not alone in this feeling. We know that walking into a new place, it can feel intimidating, it can even feel a little bit risky, but we're so glad uh, that you decided to show up here today and, uh, and take that risk and make Grumlaw a part of your week. Um, I happen to think that you are catching us right now at a really, really good time because, again, as mentioned, almost at nauseum at this point, we are starting this new series today called Follow. And I have a challenge for everyone today, and I normally don't start my messages with a challenge, but I think y'all can handle it. Uh, my challenge for you is, is that you would come back for every single week during this series. It's an eight-week-long series, which I know for some of you, like, freaks you out. You've never committed to eight weeks of anything. I mean, like, you had a kid, and you're like, eh, take it day-to-day, not eight weeks of that even. So, again, do your best to show up here for the next eight weeks. And if for some reason you cannot be here, make sure that you go online and you listen to those messages there. And I'm not going to try to make some bold proclamation that if you show up here for the next eight weeks, your world is going to be completely transformed. I, I don't know that that's necessarily going to be the case. But what I am confident of is if you stay plugged in here for the next eight weeks, God will begin to do things in your life in such a way that you're going to lean in more. You're going to be curious. You're going to be interested in who this Jesus guy is and why I think and why we think here he is so important to every single one of our lives. So seriously, show up here for the next eight weeks. If you can't be here, extenuating circumstances, watching Netflix, that's not an extenuating circumstance. But if you can't be here, uh, make sure that you listen online, stay plugged in with us for the next eight weeks. Now, I want to give you all a little bit of an insight into my childhood. Uh, As a lot of you know, I grew up actually as a pastor's kid. Uh, My parents, my dad specifically, planted a church when uh, I was a freshman in high school. But even prior to that, church, this, this has always been a really big part of my life. My my mom worked at a church, and I was never just like a kid that was at church one day a week. We were usually at church like two, three, four, even like five days a week. Anybody else like that? They like lived at church growing up? None of you. That makes me feel really welcome. Great. Uh, But for those of you that even grew up going to church every single week, my guess is is that you can probably relate to this, you know, even just a little bit. For me, uh, growing up and and going to church again so, so often, uh, once I got into middle school, honestly, even more so into high school, uh, following Jesus kind of became this giant game of Jesus says. Now, we're all familiar with what the game Simon Says, right? We've all heard of the game Simon Says. Jesus Says is fairly similar. Jesus says uh, that you got to go to church every week. And Jesus says you better read your Bible. And Jesus says that you better pray before every meal. And Jesus says when these buckets come by, you got to drop money into them. What the heck's up with that? Jesus says that you can only listen to Christian music. And Jesus says you better stop cussing. And Jesus, Jesus says you can only watch G and PG movies. I mean, you can't even watch PG-13, let alone R. You watch R, you're going straight to hell. But you definitely can't watch PG-13. You can watch G and PG, so... Basically, you're left watching no movies because there's never been a good G or PG movie, right? You get the idea. Jesus says you can do this and you can't do this and do this and you better not do this and the list goes on and on and on. And if you find yourself playing a game of Jesus Says, pretty quickly you find yourself out of the game, right? You're sitting down. Now, once I got into middle school and then even more so into high school, I really wasn't all that interested in playing anymore. I got to a point where I was just like, I'm kind of done playing Jesus Says. And maybe that's your experience as well. Maybe you might maybe stepped away from church or you stepped away from Christianity because Christianity became this long list of do's and don'ts. And you can't do this and you can do this. And following Jesus was all about following the rules. And you found out, like me, that you weren't that good at Jesus Says. You just weren't very good at the game. And eventually you get frustrated and you're just like, as Seacrest would say, out, I'm not interested in playing that game anymore. Now, 
If we could do this, and I recognize that it's probably not possible at all, if we could do our best to just completely erase our memory, erase our minds with everything that we know about Christianity, everything that we know about Jesus, everything we know about the Bible, everything that we think we know, and we just started with a clean slate. And again, I realize that's probably not possible. And regardless if this is your first time coming to church or you've been coming to church your entire life, we all have some knowledge of the Bible. We all have some knowledge of Jesus. We all have some preconceived notions. And we were somehow to be able to erase all of that. And we were just started again with just this clean slate. And we picked up the Bible for ourselves, which I would challenge us to actually do that. A lot of you, the knowledge that you have about Christianity and the Bible, it's all based on what people like me have told you. You've never actually picked this thing up for yourself. But if we picked up the Bible and you read it for yourself, and you read in particular the gospel books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those first four books of the New Testament, those books that document Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection, what you would find is this, is Jesus is extraordinarily relational. He's like relational to the hundredth degree. He talked about very early on in his ministry how he is the way to the father. He talked about that relationship between us and him like that between a father and a child, but he is an image of our earthly father. He's the perfection of our earthly father. He talked about how he is the vine and we are the branches, and the branches never look at the vine and say, you know what, we don't really need you. No, no, the branches rely on the vine to sustain life. I mean, it's so relational. He talked about how he is the shepherd and we're the sheep, which is not really a great illustration for modern day, but you guys get the idea. You know what a shepherd is, but he, he talked about the fact that we as the sheep, we don't even need to see him, that if we just hear his voice, we go running to him. Everything that he talked about was so, so extraordinarily relational. Now, if you grew up in a world of Jesus says, and you do, and you don't, and you can do this, and you can't do that, I mean, again, I completely understand how you got there. I mean, after all, I got there as well, but Jesus would look at that, and he would go, where did you get that from? Because again, if you read this stuff for yourself, it is so far from that. It all came back to relationship, not religion. And the word that Jesus would come back to time and time and time again, and again, don't take my word for it, read this stuff for yourself. Throughout Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, these firsthand accounts of Jesus' time on earth, the word that he would come back to, the invitation that he would come back to over and over again is the word that we've named this series after, which is, of course, follow. And what's so interesting about this is that Jesus extended this invitation to follow to every single type of person, rich, poor, irreligious, religious, people that wanted nothing to do with God, people that wanted everything to do with God, people that had been going to church their entire lives, people that had never stepped foot into a church. He kept going back to the same invitation, just follow me, follow, follow, follow. He said it over and over and over again. Now, the first account or example that we have of this, we find this in the book of Matthew. Uh, Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, the first account that we have of Jesus' time on earth. And it's Matthew actually telling a story about Matthew. So Matthew's talking about himself. So we'll start here. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew. See, I told you, Matthew, Matthew, okay. Sitting at his tax collector's booth. Now, we can't totally, you know, comprehend just how hated tax collectors were back at this point in history. I mean, we can't totally appreciate it. I mean, they were the most hated, loathed, disgusted people on the planet. People could not stand tax collectors. And and so people, you know, when you read this, like the, the original audience would have been listening to this thinking, okay, like, tax collector. Okay, what is Jesus going to go up to? What what is he going to say to to this tax collector? Now, the best comparison that I can think about this uh, to to modern day, to put it in maybe in modern terms, uh, is a tax collector to our 
present context would be like people who take advantage of the elderly. I mean, don't we all just kind of want to like punch those people in the nose? Back when my grandparents were still alive, they attended this church out in Redford, um, and it was made up of pretty much all elderly people, and there's nothing wrong with elderly people, but like 90% of the congregation, right, was like 65, you know, years or older. It was a pretty old congregation, and in comes this guy named Ron. I still remember his name, and I was like in middle school at this point. This guy named Ron, who's like my age, he's like in his 30s, and he starts befriending all of these elderly people, which... Again, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but that's a little curious, right? When you, j- you tend to be attracted to people who are around your age. But everybody assumes that Ron's an okay guy, but over time, he starts to develop relationships with a lot of these elderly couples, including my grandparents. And he kind of paints this picture like he's like this financial wizard. And he gets all of these elderly people, a lot of these couples, like a huge part of this congregation, to invest their money with him, 401ks and retirements and savings, Uh, And he just heads for the hills with it. He left my grandparents with like next to nothing. Now, he got prosecuted and caught, but he didn't pay back a penny of it. Now, when you hear a story like that, if I was like right now like, Ron just walked in the room, right? There would be no shortage of people that would want to punch him in the nose, right? That's what the tax collectors were like. They could not stand tax collectors. They were so despised. People hated tax collectors. And Matthew was one of those tax collectors. Now, the process by which Rome would collect their taxes is pretty interesting. What they would do is they would actually auction off the opportunity to collect taxes in their respective regions in these provinces that they governed over. And so really, really wealthy people would bid on the opportunity to collect taxes in these respective regions. And it was an extremely lucrative business. Because so long as Rome got their share, you got to keep the rest. And there were taxes on everything. There were wine taxes and food taxes and road taxes and bridge taxes and income taxes. I mean, this huge, long, long list of taxes. And again, these people got to keep a good chunk of it for themselves so long as Rome got their share. Now, once you won that opportunity to collect those taxes in that respective area, these rich people didn't go around doing that themselves. What they would do is they would hire local people who already lived in that area to collect those taxes. Again, Matthew being one of those individuals. But upon accepting that position to be a tax collector, you were immediately hated by your community, your friends and your, and your neighbors. Everybody could not stand you at that point, which I remember when I first learned about this wondering, well, why in the heck would anybody say yes to this? I mean, why would you take that position? And it comes down to the same reason that a lot of us make very stupid decisions nowadays. Greed, money. They would offer these individuals such an insane, such an inordinate amount of money that it became almost impossible to say no. And so here we have Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth and everybody that's walking by him is scoffing at him, probably doing immature gestures towards him, right? Like nobody wanted to be near Matthew. And Jesus goes and marches up right to him. And people are are, are sitting there. I mean, there's these big crowds that were following Jesus around at this point, and they're wondering, Jesus is going to let him have it? He is going to tell Matthew the business? I mean, he could have said anything. He could have said anything to Matthew. I mean, he could have walked up to Matthew and said, you know, I bet your mother's really proud. He could have put his arm around him really sarcastically and been like, how does it feel to know that everybody here would love it if I just punched you in the face right now? I mean, he could have said any number of things that would have been completely warranted, that would have been completely justified, but of course, Jesus doesn't do any of that. Jesus says, follow me. And we're not told exactly what happens next, but again, there there was this big crowd following Jesus around wherever he went. 
Jesus at this point in his ministry was incredibly popular. He was incredibly well-liked. This is even before the point where Jesus had all of his disciples picked out. It was this big crowd of people following him all around. I mean, he was a rabbi. He was such an incredible teacher. People just wanted to be near Jesus. And again, we're not told exactly how this crowd would have reacted to this, but I have to think that there was like this audible gasp in this moment where the crowd went, did he seriously just ask Matthew, the tax collector, to follow him? Jesus, are you out of your mind? I mean, you almost picture Peter in this moment going, real quick, Matthew, Jesus, what are you doing? He's a tax collector. Nobody talks to tax collectors. This is one thing that basically everybody agrees upon. You do not talk to tax collectors. We don't want this guy hanging out with us. Are you out of your mind? And Jesus could have rightfully asked Matthew to do a lot of different things. He could have asked him to take a lot of different steps. A lot of things that, by the way, that, that, that Matthew would have had a tailor-made excuse ready on the tip of his tongue. But because the invitation is so simple, because it's so straightforward, look at how Matthew responds. It says, so Matthew got up and followed him. And again, we're not told what the, how the crowd reacts, but we have to think again, in this moment, there was like this, oh, oh. he said, yes, Jesus. We don't want to be seen with Matthew. Jesus, do you not realize we're following you around? Which means now that we got to like hang out with the tax collector, with Matthew. Do you realize how bad this is going to be for our reputation? Do you realize how terrible this is going to be for your reputation? I mean, Matthew, a tax collector, isn't there like, you know, some murderer sitting around that we can have hang out with us? We don't want to hang out with Matthew. And we have to understand that this was kind of like a formal invitation. Jesus was saying, hey, come on, come on, follow me. I want you to be a part of my inner circle. I kind of want you to be a part of my crew. And by doing so, by you accepting this invitation, you are now going to begin associating with me and maybe even more importantly, I am going to begin associating with you. Now again, what makes this so interesting, particularly if you grew up going to church and religion's just kind of in your blood, it's a part of your brain, notice that Jesus doesn't say, if you fill in the blank, you can follow me. If you meet this criteria then you can follow me. Okay, Matthew, if you stop collecting taxes, if you stop cheating people out of money, then at that point you can follow me. If you stop getting drunk, then you can follow me. If you start reacting better to your wife, then you can follow me. If you stop cussing, then at that point you can follow me. If you stop sleeping around, well then at that point, then you can start following me. He doesn't say any of that. In fact, Jesus doesn't lay out a single condition, a single prerequisite, not a single disclaimer. It's so much simpler than that. He looks at Matthew and he simply says, simply says, follow. Just begin to follow me. It's the invitation that he offers to Matthew. It's the invitation that we see him offering time and time again throughout the Gospels. And it's the same invitation that he offers to every single one of us today. And the question that I would like everyone to wrestle with throughout the series, whether this is your first time coming to church or you, again, have been coming to church your entire life, Wherever you fall on this whole faith journey, I want us all to wrestle with this question, not just today, but throughout the series. Am I following? Am I following? Not did I go to church this week. Not did I put money in the bucket. 
Not, not did I pray before every meal, but just am I following? Let's do our best to just throw all of that stuff to the side and simply ask ourselves the question, am I following? Now, if you're sitting here today and, and you feel like, well, gosh, that just seems way too simple. You are certainly not alone because look what happens here in the very next scene. It says, later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. So if you think the crowd following him around had a problem with, 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 with Matthew just hanging out, now they are suddenly in his house. They're going, no, we're not going into Matthew's house. Have you completely lost it? We don't know what goes on in a tax collector's house. There's like probably weird stuff going on in there. They got like tax collector cooties. We're not going in there, Jesus. You have completely lost your mind. But Jesus did this kind of stuff all the time. Remember Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, for a wee little man was he. And Jesus said, for I'm coming to your house today. That's a real song. For those of you that didn't grow up going to church, there was some weird stuff going on at the Christian church in the 90s, okay? <laughs> Jesus did this kind of stuff all the time. He would look at people and he'd say, let's go to a place that might very well ruin my reputation, but somewhere that you feel completely comfortable. A place where we can actually begin to develop a relationship. It continues, and in fact, it actually gets far worse. It says, later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. So it, this is an important distinction that is made here. Okay? It says, along with many tax collectors and disreputable sinners. Even sinners did not want to be associated with tax collectors. They're like, hey, make sure that when you write this down, Matthew, you put us in a different category. I mean, yeah, I might have killed a guy, but at least I'm not a tax collector. They're like, we don't want to be associated with these tax collectors. They were so, so hated. Now, what we see here, and in fact, we see this throughout the Gospels. I mean, this is so, 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 so important. Please don't miss this. So if you've been zoning out here, you haven't listened to a word that I've been saying, that's okay, you're not hurting my feelings. But bring it back in here for just a couple minutes because this is so, so huge. Particularly if you're new to this whole church thing or maybe you, know, you stepped away from, from church for a big chunk of your life and maybe you're back and you're starting to lean back in again. Again, this, this is so, so, so important. Jesus, as we see here, was extraordinarily comfortable around people who were nothing like him. And apparently, as we see here, and in many other accounts throughout Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, people who were nothing like Jesus were extraordinarily comfortable around him. That's interesting, right? People who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. And this is a really, really, really big deal. Because if you're new to this whole church thing, or maybe, and you wouldn't even necessarily admit this out loud, but you know internally this is true, maybe you're even a little bit hostile towards Christianity. And that's okay, again, we're so glad that you're here. But if at any point while being here at Grumlaw, you feel pushed away, or, or, or you feel anything but loved, and you feel anything but welcomed, please know this, that is our fault. That's my fault. That is people's fault because it's certainly not Jesus's fault. Jesus would like you. Jesus wouldn't be put off by your sin. Jesus wouldn't be pushed away by your past that you're not so proud of. Jesus knows everything about you. He knows all your thoughts. He knows your actions and he still likes you. He still extends this invitation to begin following him. That's a powerful thought, isn't it? 
Now, meanwhile, it says, but when the Pharisees saw this, now the Pharisees were like these religious elite, these religious leaders, uh, they were really like kind of the highest category at this point in, in society and in Jewish culture. I mean, they were thought very, very highly, highly of this. And we don't know how they kind of got word of this whole thing, but they heard that Jesus was actually having dinner with a bunch of tax collectors and other really terrible sinners, okay? I mean, so again, just picture this in this moment. I mean, so they're, they're like, wait, what? He's actually in there with other tax collectors? Is he completely out of his mind? And he, they go up and they ask the disciples, because apparently some of the people that were hanging out with Jesus were like, we're not going inside. We weren't kidding. We're really not going to eat with the tax collectors. So they're kind of like hanging out, you know, on the outside. They're still ready to like, you know, listen in and lean in and hear what Jesus has to say. But they're like, we're not doing everything that you do, Jesus. So they're hanging on the outside. And the Pharisees come up to them and they say, why does your teacher eat with such scum? It's not very nice, is it? Some of you are thinking, that's what my old church was like. Shouldn't have said that out loud. Okay. But they're genuinely, genuinely confused. They're like, why doesn't Jesus seem to play by our rules? Why does Jesus talk to the people that we say you shouldn't talk to? Why doesn't Jesus seem to give us more attention? Why doesn't he follow these things that we very clearly have told everybody that you're supposed to follow this stuff? You don't seem to do things the way that we do things, Jesus. Now, Jesus, upon hearing all this commotion and everything that's going on outside. And again, we're not told exactly how he gets word of this. Maybe a window was open and he actually heard the Pharisees ask it or maybe one of the disciples came in and tapped him on the shoulder and actually asked the question. But Jesus, <laughs> he lets this come flying out of his mouth. And this is incredible. He says, when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. And imagine Matthew and his buddies hanging out there next to Jesus as he says this. Sick people do. Again, you just picture Matthew, you know, sitting there and eating his meal. Healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people. Wait a minute. <laughs> Jesus. That's like pretty rude. Like, I think you, we understand what you're getting at here. You, you're saying that you're kind of like a doctor. But you didn't come for healthy people, not like the Pharisees and the other people that won't even come into our house. But you came for sick people. And if I'm not mistaken, you're calling me and... And all my buddies here, you're, you're calling all of us sick. I mean, come on. And again, Jesus being so confident in who he was, you got to picture him just looking back at him going, Matthew, you're a tax collector. He's like, oh yeah. And then him and his buddies all start high-fiving each other and they just go back to eating. And I, I know with what I'm going to say right now, it, this has the potential to offend someone and I, I certainly don't mean it to be. But be honest with yourself. You know you're sick. You know that there is something wrong with you. Think about it. You break your own rules. You don't even follow the rules 100% of the time that you ask your spouse to follow. You don't follow the rules perfectly that you ask your children to follow, that you ask your employees to follow. You know that if there is a God, then you are not following the rules perfectly. You know that if Jesus is the standard, then you fall short. You know that if there is a judgment, then you are in trouble. And Jesus, in a way that only Jesus could have possibly done, being so confident in his own skin. I mean, can you just imagine how confident Jesus was? I mean, he was God in human flesh. He looks at Matthew and his tax collector buddies, with, with, with full confidence, he doesn't even break eye contact. And he tells all of them, you're sick and you know it. And they're looking back at him going, 
did you really just say that to us? I mean, that is so offensive. But you're right. And the prime candidates for following Jesus are the ones who have the self-awareness to look themselves in the mirror and go, gosh, Jesus, that is pretty stinking offensive. But you're right. There is something missing. Now, Jesus isn't finished. He, he continues his offensive and offending people. And this time, he, he now he directs his, his comments away from Matthew and his buddies. And now he's going to start talking to the Pharisees, specifically to them. He says this, Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. And again, we can't totally appreciate just how offensive this would have sounded. The Pharisees had dedicated their lives to learning. That's literally all they did was learn scripture. That's what they did for a living. And here they have a guy that's probably half their age looking at them going, hey, you guys need to go learn and figure this out. They'd be like, excuse me? Did you really just tell us to do that? We know this stuff. He says, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. And then he doesn't give him a chance to respond. He says, for I have come not to call those who think they are righteous but those who know they are sinners. And so he doubles down. Just to make sure that there was no confusion, I mean, he just really spells things out for everyone that would have been sitting there, Matthew and his buddies, and certainly the Pharisees as well. He's going, I have not come down for people who think they're already believing all the right stuff. I have not come down for the people that think that they, they are behaving the right way. I have not come for people who have the audacity to convince themselves that they are somehow good. I haven't come for the people who go to church every single week and they say all the right prayers and they read their Bible every single day and they think they are perfect. No, no, no. I have come for people who are so far from that but yet have the self-awareness to look at themselves in the mirror and go, yeah, there's something missing because I don't seem to be perfect at life. I respond poorly to my wife. I'm not always a great parent. I say things that I later regret. I make decisions frequently, in fact, where just hours later I go, you idiot, why did you do that? Why do you keep doing these things that you know that you are going to regret? Now, I want to talk to everybody in the room right now that, that identifies as a Jesus follower. If you call yourself a Christian, lean in right now. This is important for us. If you're not a, a Jesus follower, you can kind of zone out here for the next couple minutes. But we dare not become a church where we gather together and we believe the right way and we believe the right things and we behave the right way and then we stop there. Because if we do, we will soon find ourselves on the outside going, Jesus, what are you doing in there? Why are you hanging out with such scum? We'll be on the outside as he comes to call the sinners and the scum and the people who so desperately need a savior. This is one of the most incredible things uh, about Jesus. He has actually called us to partner with him. If you identify as a Jesus follower, he has called you to partner with him. In fact, it's why we started this church. It's the thing that burns inside of me to call out to those who have a sneaking suspicion that there might be something missing. That there's something not quite right. That there has to be something more to this life than this life. It's not enough to believe and behave right. 
If that's where it ends, you will soon become a Pharisee, judgmental, quick to impose the rules, quick to tell people, okay, if you do all this, if you, if you do all these things, if you get your life in order, then you can begin following. In fact, that was kind of the Pharisee's mantra. They said, change and you can join us. Change and you can join us. Stop doing those things. Start doing these things. Okay, get your life in order. And then at that point, you can join us. But Jesus comes along and he flips this entire thing upside down. And Jesus says, join us and you will change. He turns this entire thing on its axis and he offers just a simple, simple invitation. Follow. Come on. Just begin following me. But he warns us. He tells you, oh, well, I'm going to warn you. If you follow me for long, things are going to begin changing in your life. Not because suddenly I'm going to bust out some rules that I was hiding from you. Not because there's going to be like this gotcha moment. But because of that word that we talked about when I first jumped up here, relationship. He says, see, see, see I'm like a father. And you're my children. I'm like a vine and, and you are the branches. I am like a sheep and you are the shepherd. And just like any father who is involved in his kids' lives, for better or for worse, the kids are going to start to look like the father. They're gonna start behaving like the father. They're gonna start reacting like the father. They're even gonna start thinking like the father. And so the premise for this series, it is so simple. Follow. Now as you wrestle with whether or not you're gonna follow Jesus, uh, as you wrestle with whether or not you're going to accept this invitation to, to follow, there, there are four quick things that I want to kind of leave you with here, and we're going to get through these here pretty quick. Number one, being a sinner does not disqualify you. In fact, quite the opposite. It is a prerequisite. Every single invitation that we have of Jesus extending this offer to, to, to follow him throughout the New Testament, throughout Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, he extended this invitation to people who are not only sinners, but they knew they were sinners. In fact, the only people that ever showed any amount of resistance towards this were the people who thought they already had life all figured out. People like the Pharisees who thought they were perfect. There is no sin. There is no habit. There's no addiction. There is no problem that puts you on the outside. And you might say, well, Shay, you don't know me. I don't need to know you. Jesus does. He knows everything about you. And he still extends that invitation to you to begin following him. Number two, being an unbeliever doesn't disqualify you. In fact, none of Jesus' earliest followers believed. This is one of the biggest you know, rebuttals that people will give to something like this, this invitation to follow him. They go, but I don't even know if I believe in this stuff yet. I'm not even sure if Jesus was a real guy. I'm not sure about this whole Christianity thing. It doesn't matter. In fact, one of the most interesting things about the disciples, it's like two years into their ministry, two years into hanging out with Jesus and doing everything with him. And we read, it, all of a sudden it says, and then they believed. And you're like, what? Well, what the crap were they doing for the first two years? Apparently, they were just following because they certainly weren't believing. In fact, one of his disciples was known for his lack of belief, was known for his lack of faith. You probably heard of this guy, even if you've never been to church before. Doubting what? Doubting Thomas, right? Jesus comes back to life and he's walking around after being in the grave for three days and Thomas is like, still not sure. Jesus kind of like put my fingers into the wounds in your side and Jesus is like, Thomas, you are such a weirdo, right? Last week we talked about this, that when Jesus was crucified, when he was nailed to that cross, nobody believed. 
Those 12 disciples, the 12 apostles that spent every single waking moment with him, they all ran away like cowards. His own family members abandoned him. There wasn't a single person believed. They all, in fact, began to believe in the 11th hour when Jesus was back alive, walking around again. And when somebody predicts their own death and predicts their own resurrection and that it actually happens, how much belief does that take? Like, no belief, like no faith. Being an unbeliever does not disqualify you. Number three, the invitation to follow is an invitation to relationship, not an invitation to obedience, but to relationship and an invitation into a relationship just as you are. And as that relationship grows, I gotta warn you about this, things will naturally start to change. Because isn't that true in any relationship? For those of you that are married, Isn't it true that when you met your significant other, things started to change in your life? And not because it was obedience, not because you were trying to follow rules, but because you wanted to make that other person happy. You wanted to please them, not out of obedience, but out of love and out of care. It all comes back to relationship. And then number four, following me, following forces me to focus on where I am rather than where you are not. See, see, when you're following and you are constantly asking yourself the question, am I following? It's awfully difficult to worry about what is going on with other people. It's awfully difficult to start pointing the finger and go, what about him? And what about her? And he's not doing this and she's doing this. No, no, no. When you are asking yourself the question, am I following? You become so aware of your responsibility that you don't even have time to judge anyone else. The more aware I am of what God has to do in me, the less I care about what God has yet to do in you. This is why our mission here at Grumlaw is so simple, why it's so straightforward. It's to lead people towards Jesus. We just want every single one of you that are here today to begin taking your next step towards Jesus. And guess what? That will probably look different from person to person, but that's okay. So long as we are all moving in the same direction. So long as we are focusing on where I am rather than where you are not. And so, as we wrap up, back to that question that we started with. Am I following? Not how often do I go to church. Not did I read my Bible today. Not have I prayed before every single meal. Not how obedient am I. Not have I, have I said the right prayer. Not do I believe Not am I a Christian, but am I following? And this invitation, it's for everyone, regardless if you believe or not. Being a sinner is a prerequisite. Whether this is your first time in a church, you've been coming to church your entire life. Just follow, follow. Ask yourself the question, am I following? So come back every single week during the series. If you're not able to be here, Make sure you go online, you listen to the messages there. As we move towards a relationship that is categorized by a very simple word, by a very simple invitation, follow.